psalmist tells us in Psalm 73 that it is good for me that I draw near unto God. That's what we endeavour to do this evening as we worship him. We will do so singing to God's praise in Psalm 63. Psalm 63 from the beginning of the psalm, verse 1 through 5. Lord, thee my God, I'll early seek. My soul doth thirst for thee. My flesh longs in a dry parched land wherein the waters be. That I thy power may behold and brightness of thy face as I have seen thee heretofore within thy holy place. Psalm 63, singing verse 1 through 5 and the tune is The Green Hill. Inhabitants. 
Thou didst form it in the beginning by the word of thy power. Thou hast preserved and kept this world in providence by the same word of power. And we are found this evening at a time and a place. A particular number of people brought out to worship thy name. To sit under thy word. And all these things have been prepared from of old. We wait for thee. Our soul doth wait. And our hope is in thy word. Grant Lord the help of thy Holy Spirit. That we would be drawn out in our heart. That we would worship in spirit and in truth. That even now as we pray. That thou wouldst not merely hear our words. But look upon the desire of our souls. That thou would be glorified as we seek communion with thee. Through the Lord Jesus Christ. And to this end we pray that thou wouldst blot out all of our iniquities like a thick cloud our wounds stink and are corrupt and our folly makes it so we have a loathsome disease of ourselves a leprosy we have death cling to us by nature we live in this world as children of wrath even as others But we give thanks that the glorious mercy of God, which is holy mercy, is presented to us in the gospel and we are bidden to come so that the same God that we run from in our sins, stricken in terror in our conscience, is the same God we run to in the gospel. Lord, thou hast said to thy people in every generation similar words to those spoken to Israel all the day long have I held out my hands to a disobedient and gainsaying people. We pray, Lord, that we would look upon that mercy that pursues us. And as we heard last night, pursued Adam in, in the garden When the sentence of death was upon him and he could have been obliterated justly in a moment. Yet that provoking question, that convicting question was a merciful question. Adam, where art thou? Because Adam still lived. O Lord our God, so it is. As the word approaches us as sinners tonight, as the sons of Adam. Where art thou? Lord, show us. And most importantly, show us Christ, that we would go to him. The seed of the woman who has crushed the head of the serpent. The one who came forth in the fullness of time, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem those who are under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. The one who was wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities. The one who preached to a rebellious people and even wept over a city that rejected him in lamentation crying, O Jerusalem, O Jerusalem, 
How often would I, but ye would not. Lord, show us this this evening. We pray that our hearts would be prepared to hear the word of truth. That we might not be taken up with others in the congregation. That we might not even be taken up with the preacher as a person. But that we would be taken up with the consciousness of God. And that we would hear the voice of the Son of Man and live. The same voice that called the earth into being. The same voice of the Son of Man that will be heard at the last day. When the dead shall hear and come forth. O Lord, cause us to hear thy voice tonight. Speak peace to us through the blood of the cross. And show us what it is to live as thy people. With the satisfaction of the desires of our soul found in Jesus Christ. With the confidence to know that he can meet every need that we have. You would set before us the hope of glory. That you would give thy people confidence that we would humbly sit at the feet of an all-sufficient Savior. Turning away from all of our works those obvious works and those works that are more subtle. Search our hearts and try our ways and lead us in the way that is everlasting. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please turn in your Bibles this evening to Psalm 107. Psalm 107. Let us hear the word of the Lord. O give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he hath redeemed from the hand of the enemy. And gathered them out of the lands from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. They wandered in the wilderness in a solitary way. They found no city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted in them. Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them out of their distresses. And he led them forth by the right way that they might go to a city of habitation. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. For he satisfieth the longing soul and filleth the hungry soul with goodness. Such as sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, being bound in affliction and iron, because they rebelled against the words of God and contemned the counsel of the Most High. Therefore he brought down their heart with labor. They fell down, and there was none to help. Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them out of their distresses. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and break their bands in sunder. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. 
for he hath broken the gates of brass and cut the bars of iron in sunder. Fools, because of their transgression and because of their iniquities, are afflicted. Their soul abhorreth all manner of meat, and they draw near unto the gates of death. Then they cry unto the Lord in their trouble, and he saveth them out of their distresses. He sent his word and healed them, and delivered them from their destructions. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. And let them sacrifice the sacrifices of thanksgiving and declare his works with rejoicing. They that go down to the sea in ships, that do business in great waters, these see the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep. For he commandeth and raiseth the stormy wind, which lifteth up the waves thereof. They mount up to the heaven. They go down again to the depths. Their soul is melted because of trouble. They reel to and fro and stagger like a drunken man and are at their wit's end. Then they cry unto the Lord in their trouble. And he bringeth them out of their distresses. He maketh the storm a calm, so that the waves thereof are still. Then are they glad, because they be quiet, so he bringeth them unto their desired haven. O oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness, and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Let them exalt him also in the congregation of the people, and praise him in the assembly of the elders." He turneth rivers into a wilderness, and the water springs into dry ground, a fruitful land into barrenness for the wickedness of them that dwell therein. He turneth the wilderness into a standing water, and dry ground into water springs. And there he maketh the hungry to dwell, that they may prepare a city for habitation, and sow the fields, and plant vineyards, which may yield fruits of increase. He blesseth them also, so that they are multiplied greatly, and suffereth not their cattle to decrease. Again they are minished, and brought low through oppression, affliction, and sorrow. He poureth contempt upon princes, and causeth them to wander in the wilderness where there is no way. Yet setteth he the poor on high from affliction, and maketh him families like a flock. The righteous shall see it and rejoice, and all iniquity shall stop her mouth. Whoso is wise and will observe these things, even they shall understand the loving kindness of the Lord. Later we will look at a verse in this psalm. But I want for now just to press upon your heart the last verse with this question, are you wise or foolish? Are you wise or foolish? Whoso is wise and will observe these things, even they shall understand the loving kindness of the Lord. The Lord comes to teach you this evening about his loving kindness. May we respond in wisdom. 
Let us now turn to our psalm books and sing there in Psalm 34. Psalm 34, verse 1 through 10. We've been talking over the last few days with what it means to come to come to Christ, speaking privately with some of you about that, and we have an example here. And my plea has been to you, both in a previous visit and in online discussions and also in my interaction with you over the last few days, try not to complicate coming to Christ. In this psalm, we're told how David came to Christ. Verse 6, this poor man cried. God heard and saved him from all of his distresses. Verse 1 through 10, Psalm 34. Yeah. 
please stand as we seek the Lord's help in the preaching of God's Word. O Lord our God, the entrance of thy words gives light. We pray that thou would send forth thy light and thy truth. We're thankful for the word revealed in Scripture, and we pray for this word to be revealed to our own hearts, that it would both reveal us and reveal Christ to us. We ask, Lord, for the help of thy Spirit. It is the Spirit that quickens the flesh, profits nothing. We have no confidence in the flesh. The wisdom of man is nothing. But the preaching of the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And herein we discover Christ, who is both the wisdom and the power of God. Please descend into our midst. Deal with our souls. Say unto those who are of a trembling spirit, I am thy salvation. Prepare thy people to come to the table of the Lord. Stir up an appetite for Christ, that we would lay hold of the many promises in Scripture that are given to those who hunger and thirst and who long and who desire. O Lord our God, send the Spirit then that this blessed wind of God would so blow upon us that we might live. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I turn your attention this evening to Psalm 107. And if you were to give a summary title to this psalm, you could accurately describe it as the song of the redeemed because in it we find a number of very graphic pictures of God's delivering his people and for all of these things God is to be extolled and magnified so in the first section the redeemed are lost and then found in the second section they are in darkness and in prison but the Lord delivers them from darkness into light and from the prison and bondage into liberty. Then they're like a mariner upon the sea in the midst of a storm and they mount up with the waves and they fall down again. They can't hold their feet. They reel and stagger like a drunk man and they long that the storm be changed into a calm and they reach their desired harbor and by the mercy of the Lord they do so. In all of these instances, the key is the cry. Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them out of all their distresses. 
the result is praise. And so there is this desire in the heart of the redeemed that not only they, but all together with them, would praise God for his wonderful works of mercy. And so you have this repeated in the pattern throughout the psalm. They cry unto the Lord, the Lord delivers them. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and his wonderful works to the children of men. And what is key throughout this is that the Lord's work of grace in the soul is manifest by the mouth. So you can think of what Paul writes to the Romans, that if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus, and we believe in our hearts that God has raised him from the dead, then we shall be saved. You see the pattern here in the Old Testament. They experience God's grace. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness. But it's more than that. The psalm begins in this way. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, and his mercy endureth forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he hath redeemed from the hand of the enemy. And then verse 32 makes it even more particular. Not that we just merely confess in a general way, but let them exalt him also in the congregation of thy people and praise him in the assembly of the elders. There's a confession to be made with the mouth. Particularly, there is a confession to be made in the church. And how apt then for a preparatory service as we contemplate coming to the Lord's table where we will confess the Lord we will show forth the wonderful work that God has accomplished in Christ according to his commandment even unto the end of the world. Our text this evening is verse 9. For he satisfieth the longing soul and filleth the hungry soul with goodness. It's a word of preparation It's a word that ought to produce anticipation in the hearts of God's people. This comes at the end of the first section, and it's a kind of summary of the previous verses. Because there the people of God were lost, and now they're found. They're wandering in a desert, in a solitary or a lonely place. There's no food to eat. There's no water to drink. And the Lord hears their cry, and he brings them to a city of habitation where they can abide. The greatest felt need that they have in their lostness is presented to us in verse 5. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted in them. Then they cry. God delivers them from out of their trouble. And the conclusion of that is then presented in our text, verse 9. For he satisfieth the longing soul and filleth the hungry soul with goodness. Do you see how verse 9 answers verse 5? They have a need, and God is able and willing to provide that need. Well, what I want to do first of all this evening is to briefly expound the text under three points, and then we will make 
application in a very particular way to how Jesus Christ satisfies our soul. First of all, note their need. In verse 9, it is described in two words. And what you have here is a feature of Hebrew poetry where two ideas or two thoughts are set parallel with one another. Sometimes they're a contrast, sometimes they're an amplification. The same thing repeated for emphasis. And so it is in verse 9 that the first word that describes the need is longing. For he satisfieth the longing soul. Well, that's language that's familiar to us. You might not choose that word, but we certainly describe that kind of context all the time. You children, this evening, I would guess that you've spoken in this way before. You may have said something like, I can't wait. Maybe it's a birthday present or something that you're looking forward to. What are you doing? You're, you're longing for something. You're wanting that time to come. We know what it is to have this kind of longing desire within our soul. But the Hebrew word takes us beyond that because it's not merely a passive longing. It's a word that could be used to describe an animal on the move, driven by desire, so as to catch its prey. So you can't just sit here this evening and say, well, I have a longing within my soul, but I'm not going to do anything about that longing or with that longing. This is very much an active longing. It's not a longing that you don't do anything with. You pursue it in order to obtain the desire of your heart. There's a longing. The second way that the need is described is by hunger. Look at the end of verse 9. He filleth the hungry soul with goodness. Verse 5, we saw the need was described there as hungering and thirsting. Their soul fainted within them. Maybe the children of God could look back to their wilderness experience and they could think of a time when they had nothing in the wilderness and they looked to Moses and Moses couldn't do anything for them and Moses cried unto the Lord and what did God do? He provided bread for them to eat and then later he provided water for them to drink. The people of God have hungered literally in that way but of course spiritually we know what it is to hunger. Well, in our natural life, God has given us physical mechanisms in our body to tell us that we need something. If you never knew what thirst was, you would have a problem. If you never had the instinct to eat, similarly, you would have a problem. And God builds into our bodies these mechanisms which are for life, for the good of our natural life. But it's not just in our bodies he's given us such desires. We have the same kinds of desires for the needs of our soul. And so my question to you this evening at this point is very simple. Do you know anything of these desires within your soul? 
Do you know what it is to have spiritual longing? Do you know what it is to have spiritual hunger? And do you know anything about what it means to pursue that longing with the desire that it would be fulfilled within your soul? So here's a people, first of all, that have need. Secondly, note that we have God's provision and God's provision exactly meets their need. So there they are, longing and hungering. What does the Lord do? Well, the first half of verse 9 tells us that he satisfies the longing soul. The word satisfy means to satiate or to saturate. We got out of the house yesterday into the truck that you've provided for us and Mr. Taylor said, oh, there's a little bit of a sprinkling on the window. And there there was a few spots of rain on the windscreen. Well, that's not saturation with water. That's a sprinkling. The word here means to saturate. Children, maybe, maybe you could think of it in this way. If you were to get a sponge and you were to plunge that sponge into the bath full of water, the sponge would be satisfied in terms of our text. It would be satiated. It would be saturated. And when you pull the the sponge out of the water, there would be so much water in it that gravity would just cause the water to fall out of it again. God satisfieth the longing soul like that. What else does he do? He fills the hungry soul. I think sometimes when sinners seek a savior, they come to him almost with a conception in their mind that they're searching for a crust to merely stave off their hunger. But that's not what the Lord Jesus Christ does for the hungry soul. The Savior fills the hungry soul. It's as though he says, come to me and I will give you everything that you want to eat. And no matter how much you eat, there will still be an infinite fullness in me. There will still be more to be filled with. We aren't coming to Christ for a mere crust to stave our hunger. Well, is that not an encouragement to you this evening that you have a need, a spiritual soul need, And the Lord Jesus Christ is able to address every particular need of the soul that you have so that no matter what you bring to him, he's able to deal with that. If it's confusion, he's the wisdom of God. If it's guilt, he's able to wipe away all of your iniquity. If it's the misery of your sin, he's able to bind up the brokenhearted. 
Whatever particular spiritual need that you have, the Lord Jesus Christ is able to deal with it and not only particularly deal with it, but completely deal with it. You're longing and hungry. He satisfies and fills. So you have their need, you've got God's provision, but thirdly, you've got God's goodness. For he satisfieth the longing soul and filleth the hungry soul with goodness. And goodness is a theme throughout the whole of this psalm. Here in our text, he fills the hungry soul with goodness. In the previous verse, verse 8, there's an exhortation to praise God for his what? For his goodness. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness. And then if you take it right back to verse 1, there's a statement there that simply declares to us, this is who God is. Give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good. You say, well, what does goodness mean? I know many of you were brought up in the Dutch tradition and you may be more familiar with the Heidelberg Catechism than the Westminster Catechism. But we have a question and answer in the Shorter Catechism, which simply asks, what is God? Some of the children might know it. God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable, and is being wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. And when you think about that answer, there's a word missing that many people think ought to be there. Because we're told in the Bible, God is love, aren't we? And yet in that answer, love is not mentioned. But it's not mentioned for this reason, that goodness in the Bible is a catch-all term for every attribute related to it, whether it be mercy, long-suffering, kindness, loving-kindness grace and love. So when you read God is good, it's all of those things that's being described. When you're exhorted to praise God for its goodness, likewise, it's all of those things. When he satisfies and when he fills the hungry soul with goodness, it's all of those things. Well, maybe you say, Pastor, that's well and good for you to say. What does the Bible say? Where does, where does the Bible say this? Well, remember back in the book of Exodus, Moses, at the end of chapter 33, comes to God and he says, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. That's a good prayer. And God answers the prayer by saying, I will cause all of my goodness to pass before thee, and I will declare the name of the Lord before thee. Lord, show me thy glory. I'll cause all my goodness to pass before thee. So God does that. He puts Moses in the cleft of the rock and he puts his hand over Moses and he passes by and, and allows Moses to see but the back parts of God. But as he passes by, he declares his name to Moses. In what terms? The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering, abundant in goodness and truth. But back at the end of chapter 33, God said to Moses, I will cause all my goodness to pass before thee. And there it is. 
All of God's goodness, the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. God's goodness fills the hungry soul. But of course, it's not merely an attribute of God. It's God himself. It's God who is good. And when you think about that in relation to the gospel, it is the good God who in salvation gives himself to us in his Son. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness. All of those historical things that the Israelites could think of, creation, the call of Abraham, the redemption from Egypt, the kingdom under the days of David, all evidences of God's goodness. But we look back from a a further point on in history and we see the cross and we see this as the ultimate manifestation of the goodness and kindness and long-suffering and mercy of God. The most wonderful work that fills the hungry soul is the redemption that the good God has accomplished in his Son. Where he comes to needy and empty sinners and provides reconciliation for them in the death of his Son because he delights in mercy. Might I say to you this evening that I fear there are some of you here and you wrongly think that you need to pry mercy, you need to pry mercy out of the hand of God with a crowbar. The fundamental problem is you have a wrong view of God. God delights in mercy, friends. God, we're told in the Bible, waits to be gracious. You think of that in terms of time. You'd be better thinking of it as as if it's God waiting as a servant to dispense grace and mercy unto all of those who come to him, even though he is the king of glory himself. He's manifested his goodness and love to us in his Son. He reconciles sinners unto himself and he brings them into fellowship so that he might fill them and satisfy their longing souls. And our response to that is, oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Would to God this would grip our souls this evening, that we would be compelled, a little bit like the psalmist in Psalm 40, he put a new song in my mouth. And when he did that, nothing was going to hold my tongue anymore. That we might be overwhelmed and saturated and filled with the goodness and kindness of our God. Well then, for the remainder of our time this evening,
I want to apply these things as we prepare to come to the table of the Lord and to think about how in various ways Jesus Christ satisfies the soul. And the first way is that Christ satisfies the soul at conversion. Christ satisfies the soul at conversion. Every person in the world is longing and spiritually hungry. Sometimes we get confused when we think about that in terms of the gospel offer. Am I thirsty enough? Am I hungry enough? Every person in the world is longing and spiritually hungry. They're restless and discontent. They're always desiring something that they do not have. You see very obvious examples of that. The man who has money wants more money. The person who has a perfectly good job wants the better job. The person who has a closet full of clothes wants more clothes. The woman who has ten hats wants an eleventh hat. And so on and so forth. We're never satisfied. It can be material things, it can be immorality, it can be entertainment. The soul is like the grave. It never says enough. The church father Augustine summed it up, didn't he, when he said that man was created for God and our souls are restless until they find their rest in God. So understand what I'm saying this evening. Every person in the world is thirsty. They're longing. They're spiritually hungry. Indeed, we could go so far as to say that they're all hungry for exactly the same thing. But that that does not mean that they actually know what they're hungry for. Their need is spiritual satisfaction. Their problem is They seek it in all of the wrong places. Work, possessions, entertainment, religion even. Seeking satisfaction apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. But it doesn't matter what avenue we choose to go down or where we seek to quieten this restlessness within our soul. The world and false religion can actually only create thirst. It can never quench it. Never satisfies the soul. The soul needs Christ. That's the answer. So everyone in this room this evening has a longing for Christ, whether or not they have identified it or not. And the longing is there because you're seeking something that you can't ultimately find. And what we need is that that, that longing to be awakened and identified to us in terms of that, that Jesus Christ is ultimately the only answer to my soul.
But where have you been trying to quench your thirst? Where have you been taking that longing to? Have you fallen into the trap of imagining that getting a little bit more of the world is going to bring you this happiness? It won't. It's a little bit like being thirsty and imagining that you could quench your thirst by drinking salt water. And there you stand at the edge of the the Pacific Ocean and you think, I have a thirst. I have a thirst in my my heart. And I, I, I think that I could drink the whole of the Pacific Ocean, but the whole of the ocean is not going to quench that thirst. Because it isn't the kind of water that can quench your thirst. And yet how often we find people doing this with this desire. And God addressing it continually in the word of God because he knows what's going on in the hearts of man. And he challenges us to to come away from our spiritual stupidity. Have you ever stopped to think why Christ continually offers himself to us in terms of of the mechanics of satisfaction and, and hungering and thirsting? desires that you know that are tangible in your own experience speaking to you in ways that you can understand well if you were hungry and you refused to eat you would begin ultimately a slow descent to sure and certain death if you were thirsty and you refused to drink you would begin the same descent but it would take a lot shorter time And God comes to us in the gospel. And how does he speak? I am the bread of life. He that believeth on me shall never hunger. And you hear those words and you say, well, they sound wonderful, but I don't know if I'm hungry enough. And then you hear Jesus stand up on that last great day of the feast and beseech people and cry, if any man thirst... Let him come unto me and drink. And again you say, well, that's wonderful. If only I knew I was thirsty enough. And I thank the Lord that you don't deal with your natural hunger and your natural thirst in that way. I spoke to a few of you even today about this. You don't come in from a hard day's work in the yard and you're sweating and you're thirsty. And you see the water tap and you think, I'm really thirsty. I'm going to go and get a drink. And then you stop yourself and you say, Oh, well, I don't know if I'm thirsty enough. You know, my tongue's not hanging out of of my mouth. I haven't quite fainted yet. Or then you say, I haven't eaten all day. I missed lunch. I've been working hard. I'm hungry. I feel my sugar dropping. I feel a little bit faint. In fact, I've got to that point where, you know, you're almost nauseated because you're so hungry. I need to eat. Ah, but I I don't know if I'm hungry enough to eat. I don't have the the signs of long-term malnutrition. I'm not like one of those uh, famine victims in Africa with all the distillation of my abdomen. I'm not that hungry. No food for me. Praise God you do not 
deal with your natural hunger and thirst in that way. But when it comes to spiritual thirst, you say, I'm thirsty and I know I'm thirsty, but I don't know if I'm thirsty enough. But Jesus does not say, if any man thirsts enough, let him come unto me and drink. He says, are you thirsty? Come. He doesn't say, if any man is as hungry as a man could possibly ever be, let him come. He says, are you hungry? Come to me and feast your soul upon me. Then he addresses all of our pursuit after things that can never satisfy our soul in Isaiah chapter 55. And in that verse 1, it's as though God has nothing else to say to us but come. And we keep throwing our butts in, and God keeps saying, in a sense, stop throwing your butts in. Just listen to me when I speak to you. Ho, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters. And you say, ah, but, but. And he that hath no money, come ye. Buy and eat. Ah, but. No, no, says God. Come. Buy wine and milk without money and without price. Wherefore do you spend money for that which is not bread? Why are you wasting your time trying to satisfy your soul somewhere else apart from Jesus Christ? Why do you spend your labor for that which satisfieth not? Hearken diligently unto me. In other words, sit up and listen. Pay attention. Hear and your soul will live. And eat ye that which is good, and let your soul delight itself in fatness. Do you know your emptiness this evening? Do you know your emptiness? Maybe you're here tonight and you don't. Your problem is actually you're too full, you're self-sufficient, you're self-reliant, you're proud, and you don't need Christ because you think you've got it all together. Maybe that's you. I know for many of you that's not you. You actually don't need me to stand here and convince you tonight that you're empty, that you're needy. You're already convinced of that. But you're not convinced of this. That if you come to Jesus Christ right now, he really will save and satisfy your soul. But it's the only answer. Come, come, come. Buy it all with nothing, because I give it all freely. Stop wasting your time on things that can never satisfy your soul. Samuel Rutherford, the Scottish theologian, writes this, O mercy forevermore, that there should be such a one as Christ Jesus, so boundless, so bottomless, so incompatible in infinite excellency and sweetness. 
and yet so few to take him. Maybe you get that the wrong way round. You're, you're concerned, oh, Jesus is only going to receive a few. So how do I know that I might come? Rutherford says the astounding thing is that he is so boundless and rich and gracious. Why is it that so few come to him? Why is it? Oh, you poor, dry, and dead souls, why will you not come here with your vessels and your empty souls to this huge well of life and fill all your vessels? Oh, that Christ should be so large in sweetness and worth, and we so narrow and void of happiness, and yet we will not take him. Does he speak to you this evening? Jesus Christ satisfies the soul at conversion. So you come to him. Secondly, Jesus Christ satisfies the soul in sanctification. In sanctification. Many of the things that people seek satisfaction in are sinful, like fornication and substance abuse. Other things people seek satisfaction in are in themselves lawful, but it's the sinful use of that which is lawful. And so they make idols of things that are ultimately vanity. And that's relevant to us this evening because the Lord comes and challenges his church throughout Scripture with their error here. You can think of the prophet Jeremiah, and he says, the Lord has got a controversy with you. What is it? You've left me the fountain of living waters, and you've hewn out for yourself cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. He's saying to the church, you've started to try and find your satisfaction somewhere else. Well, Christ satisfies our soul at conversion. The problem is we're still sinners, and we too quickly forget the blessed satisfaction that Christ has given to us, and we need to be brought back to it. And we need to think of ways that he continues that in our experience. And this is one area. He satisfies the soul in sanctification. There are many people in the church professed of the Lord Jesus Christ today, and they think holiness is, is practically a bad word. Holiness equates to legalism with them. And what they don't understand is they're robbing themselves of such sweetness and satisfaction. Because Jesus Christ satisfies the soul of a Christian in an ongoing life of obedience. Because the Spirit transforms him creating new desires, transforming uh, the soul into the very image of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you can think of what Jesus says himself in the Beatitudes. He says, blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness. And it's very interesting that in the Beatitudes, Christ turns worldly ideas upside down. Blessed are the poor in spirit. What does the world think about that? I don't want to be poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. The world says, no, meekness is a kind of weakness. Blessed are they that mourn. I don't want to mourn. I want to be happy. 
Blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness. I don't want anything to do with that. I want to pursue my own ways. I want to live it up. I want to make the most of my time in this world to maximize my sin. And the Lord is saying, you've got everything out of perspective. Here's the blessed life. And we as a Christian need to hear that this evening. Here's the blessed life. Blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness, not simply because they hunger and thirst for it. That wouldn't be blessedness. But because those who hunger and thirst are filled. It's the same idea as our text. Think about it like this. You were made to be holy. And in the beginning, Adam was perfectly blessed as a created human, as he was perfectly holy as a created human. Of course, he falls from that estate of original righteousness, and we inherit his sinful nature, and we are corrupt and warped, and all of our affections are out of, are out of sync, and all of our desires are, are distorted. And Christ comes to us in the gospel and he recreates us after the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we were created in the beginning to be holy. We fell and, and now we're recreated by the power of the Holy Spirit to be holy. Well, think about that, Christian. What does that mean? It means that sin can never satisfy you because you have been recreated for the very opposite. But you know this experientially, don't you? You don't just need to read this in a book or hear it in a sermon. You know this experientially because when you as a Christian backslide to various degrees and you start playing around with sin, what does it do? It always hollows you out, doesn't it? It's like it guts you. It leaves you feeling spiritually sick. Think of it in relation to a very obvious sin. Maybe you fall into an obvious sin and, and you, you, you know what you've done. And when the Lord convicts you of that as a Christian, it's like it turns your stomach. Some wicked thought that comes into your head and you think, well, how, how could I even think that? It's like somebody's opened the lid of the septic tank. It's vile. But I want you to think about it in relation to all of what we might call vanities. Because they're not so obvious or offensive to us. But yet they're drawing us away from the pursuit of righteousness and therefore from satisfaction in the Lord Jesus Christ. Think of it like this. It's like a diet of junk food. The child sees the candy and thinks, oh, look at that. And then goes and fills his or her stomach with that candy, those sweets. What, what, what's the result? Do they feel nourished? They feel miserable. You go on a vacation and you don't get your wife's nice home cooking and you have to stop in these fast food restaurants and two or three days of that and you know something's not right. We can do that as Christians by simply giving ourselves over to the wrong diet. 
But how do we know sweetness and satisfaction? By walking in the way that Christ has appointed for us. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness shall be filled. So there's a principle for you to think of. That your happiest life is really your holiest life. Your happiest life is your holiest life. Heaven will be the perfect example of that. You will never be more holy and you will never be more happy. The same principle works on earth. But the principle has a promise. If you hunger and thirst for this righteousness in the Christian life, Christ will give it to you because this is the will of God, even your sanctification. So he doesn't stir up hunger and thirst for righteousness so that he might hold it back from you. And that's a wonderful thing to think about when you make preparation for coming to the Lord's table. One of the things that you might be bringing to the Lord in prayer is this. Lord, I want to be more holy. I want to be more holy. When I come and partake of bread and wine and through faith look unto the Lord Jesus Christ, use it as a means to stir up holiness in my life. Lord, are we not told in Scripture that Christ has made unto us wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption? then make Christ all these things to me, even under the word tonight. Make me wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Give me faith that, that goes to Christ for my justification, that he might be my righteousness. But give me faith that goes to Christ for my sanctification, that he might be my holiness. So that I might be continually walking in fellowship and sweetness with him. Christ satisfies the soul at conversion. Christ satisfies the soul in sanctification. Think of how many times the modern individual, and let me maybe direct my words more at the younger among us, though I'm not assuming that this is not a problem altogether with older people, but you've all got these greatest time wasters in the world, cell phones. They have many good uses, but they have many bad uses. And what many of you young people might do is this all day. And you go on things called, ironically, feeds, yeah? So you have a Facebook feed and whatever else, feed. And you know what those feeds can never do? They can never feed you. But they're actually telling you they're feeding you with something else. They're feeding you with garbage. And a very simple rule is garbage in, garbage out. So if we want to have our soul satisfied in Christ, in sanctification, we need to go to him that we might be conformed into his image, hungering and thirsting after righteousness so that we might be filled. Never satisfied that we've come to a level of holiness that is enough. I don't want any more holiness. What Christian ever says that? 
Now satisfy me in a life of sanctification. Thirdly, Christ satisfies the soul in communion. Christ satisfies the soul in communion. Remember I said that we're not satisfied by an attribute. We're satisfied by God himself. Well, so it is everywhere in Scripture. Think of Psalm 42, verse 1. As the heart pants after the water brooks, so my soul panteth after God. My soul thirsts for God. Think of Psalm 63 that we began our service with this evening. Lord, thee my God, I'll early seek my soul to thirst for thee. My flesh longs in a dry parched land wherein the waters be. Do you know that experience? There's absolutely nothing in this world for my soul. Much for my body. Nothing for my soul. And my soul thirsts for thee. And I have a desire to see thee, Lord, as I have seen thee heretofore in the holy place. But then he says something that is very significant. He said, thy, he says, thy loving kindness is better than life, therefore my lips shall, shall praise thee. Stop and consider that for a moment. The loving kindness of God is greater to me than the sum of the entirety of my life. You love your wife, that's a good thing. You love your children, that's a good thing. You love things in the world that God gives you to enjoy, that's a good thing. You love your church, you love the brethren in the church. What is the most precious thing to you in life? Bring everything together, heap it up in, 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 in a pile, and the loving kindness of God is better than it all. And the psalmist says, that's why I, that's why I seek thee. That's why I thirst for thee. Thy loving kindness is better than life. The soul that's satisfied in conversion is strangely not satisfied because it continually desires to be filled more and more and more and more with a sense of the love and kindness of God. So that this satisfaction is actually an ongoing experience as the Lord leads us as pilgrims through the wilderness to the eternal city of God. The Puritan Tom, Thomas Shepherd describes it in this way. There is in true grace an infinite circle. An infinite circle. What is it? Man by thirsting receives and in receiving he thirsts for more. Man by thirsting receives, and in receiving he thirsts for more. So that the life of a Christian is a life of ongoing communion with God, where there is, first of all, soul hunger. Just like God gives us that mechanism for life, we hunger and we thirst, so it is for spiritual life. It's not that Christ satisfies it once, and we never hunger in any sense ever again. We continue to hunger. We continue to thirst. But it's always for him. 
and what you discover in the Christian life, no matter where you find yourself, whether it's darkness, whether it's in affliction, whether it's in temptation, that there is always food for your soul in Christ. And what he sometimes does to make you appreciate that is he actually brings you into periods of barrenness and dryness. Your soul might even cry out, Lord, where, where, where are you? Where have you gone? But in the kindness of God, he does it so as to actually stir up a greater appetite for himself. Samuel Rutherford used to speak of it like this. He fattens us with hunger. And he satisfies us with starvation. You say, that doesn't make a lot of sense. Oh, to a believer, you know what that means. He makes you hungry so that you go to him. He makes you, in a sense, feel starving, that you come back to the fountain and you continue to have your hunger and thirst satisfied in him. So that hunger is the precursor to fullness. That's what our text says, isn't it? He satisfies the longing soul. He fills the hungry soul. Think on this tomorrow that Jesus Christ does not come to mere give us a, to, to give us a crust, to, to give us a crumb, to just take the edge of our hunger. He's bringing us to a feast so that he might satisfy our longing souls. Not only soul hunger, but finally soul delight. Soul delight. There are times that you eat because you have to. And if you're really hungry, there's a sense where you say, just give me anything and I'll eat it. There are times that you eat because you have to. But there are also times that you eat because you want to. You all did it tonight. There's no one here who needed to stand at that dessert table. Not one of you. No one would have died. Everybody would have got home safe and sound. And you would have been none the worse. But there it was. And you all said, I'm going to have some of that. Because I want to. Because it's sweet. That has a spiritual analogy. Sometimes need draws us to Christ. We have to go to him. Because we're hungry and thirsting. But other times, it's just the sweetness of Christ that continually draws us to him. We've tasted and seen that the Lord is gracious and we want to continue tasting and seeing even more of the grace and the kindness of God. It's like the, the, the Shulamite in the Song of Solomon as the apple tree among the trees of the woods. So is my beloved among the sons. I sat down under his shadow with great delight and his fruit was sweet to my taste. I don't think she was getting up in a hurry. 
She was going to sit there and continue to enjoy the sweet fruit of her beloved. Well, you see, that's like an infinite circle again. Thomas Shepard says, a man by thirsting receives and receiving thirsts for more. A man experiences the sweetness of Christ and in experiencing the sweetness of Christ, he desires even more. I've said this before, but oh, there is a fullness in Christ. And when he comes to lay the table for his people, he does not serve us prison gruel. It is the feast of fat things. It is wine well refined, wine on the lees. And he satisfies his people with the fatness, not the leanness, with the fatness of his house. We could get into one of those infinite circles of frustration. I'm hungry and I eat and I'm never, I'm, I'm, I'm never filled. So I keep coming back and I keep coming back and I'm never filled. But th- this circle is not one of frustration. I keep coming back because I am filled and I know the satisfaction and I want more and more of the satisfaction. I keep coming back because I know the sweetness and having the taste for it, I cannot get enough of it. And so the satisfaction of the soul in communion with God is like a never-ending cycle of sweetness and satisfaction because we come by faith to realize that there is really this infinite fullness in the Lord Jesus Christ. Samuel Rutherford puts it like this. There is much in our Lord's pantry that will satisfy his children and much in his wine cellar that will quench all their thirst. Hunger for him until he fills you. He is pleased with the importunity of hungry souls. He is pleased with the soul that just keeps coming and taking from his pantry. Come again. He opens the door. You mothers, you'd be saying, children, get out. Stop taking the stuff from the pantry. The Lord just opens the the door. What do you want? Have you had enough? Come back again. Over and over and over and over and over again. The Lord delights in the importunity of hungry souls. There is no bottom. There is no edge to his goodness and love. And therefore, the soul of the believer can always know more. Would you take this promise to be your promise this evening? There's no point coming here and saying, yes, pastor, I, I, I'm a longing soul. I'm a hungry soul. And you believe the first half of each statement in this verse. We're not asking you to believe the first half of each statement in this verse we're asking you to believe in the whole of the verse as the Lord presents it to you. That if you're longing, you also believe that Christ is able and willing to satisfy your soul. And if you are hungry, 
you believe equally as much that the Lord Jesus Christ is able to fill your hungry soul. May God bless his word to our hearts that stand for prayer. O Lord our God, we give thanks to thee. We have heard with the hearing of our ear. We pray that thou wouldst open wide that pantry that we have just spoken of. That thy children would come to take again of thy mercy. And that those who are sitting here crushed by a longing, starving in their souls, knowing they're hungry, but living as though they were in some war-torn, cut-off country where no one could send them relief. Lord, deliver them and show them that help is at hand and the hungry can come to thee for bread. Lord, give that grace this evening, we pray, and prepare the hearts of those who will come to thy table this morning, or tomorrow morning, that it would be indeed a feast of fat things to our soul. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let us sing in Psalm 107, and there in verse 1 through 9, Psalm 107. Praise God, for he is good, for still his mercies lasting be. Let God's redeemed say so. Will you say so? And then as you sing down through these verses, I've preached to you for long enough on them tonight. Now you sing them to yourself. Verse 9, do you believe it? For the soul that longing is, he the soul that longing is, doth fully satisfy with goodness, he the hungry soul doth fill abundantly. These verses 1 through 9. Lasting be that God's reading says, from the enemy's hand it free and gather them out of the lands from north, south, east. And west they strayed in deserts by this way, no city found to rest for thirst and
Lord's benediction. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the